Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE. Transforming the way people think and work, enabling their organizations to thrive. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Verisage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're going to be talking about growth grief, <laughs> guarding against the glitz and glamour of scale. Hey, Ed, how's it going? Great. Do I have to use all G words? All Gs, <laughs> yes. This is a G okay. word show. <laughs> PG, I might add. PG. Oh, PG. Oh, PG. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, just because we're always transparent with our audience, we are pre-recording this show because you and I are going to be at 90 Minds Conference in Palm Springs on March 1st. In fact, I think I'm doing a session on that day, the Friday, and uh, we're not going to be broadcasting live, obviously, from there. So we had to do a pre-record. And we kind of been talking about this topic. You know, we've always say that um, growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell. And I just want to do a show that talks about what if you're, what if you as a business leader or owner don't have a desire to grow or scale and you go to these conferences and everybody talks about growth and scale and efficiency and all, but what if you don't want to get any bigger is getting bigger really all it's cracked up to be. And I'm not, we're not anti big business. We're not anti bigger. If you want to grow scale, if you want a $10 million business, that's part of your strategy and purpose. I think it's great, but I also think there's a lot of room out there for people that rather focus on getting better rather than bigger. Yeah, I think you've hit on the key word there, Ron, and it's it comes back to strategy. Is growth can be a strategy. What I think is important, though, and this goes back to the Richard Minitor book that we we've been citing for what twenty years now. I forget At when least. that book originally. Yeah, th yeah. That, that came out. In fact, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later on in the show. So some of his examples are a bit dated, but I still think there's a, a ton of lessons in it. And you know, th this this notion that it that market share is what causes profitability. You know that that I think is the is the 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 problem is, and it goes back to a fallacy, right? It goes back to a logical fallacy. No, growth doesn't cause profitability. And, and, and I think that's the, the thing that people are in error about. And that's why you'll hear, hear these you know, consultant after consultant coming in and saying, you gotta, you got to build your business so that it's scalable. It must be scalable. No, it really doesn't. Not if you don't want it to be. Not if that's a strategy. Why, why does it have to be that the default strategy is massive growth and scalability? Doesn't have to be. Yeah. And, you know, uh, just to put a finer point on it, there was a Harvard Business School professor, Robert D. Buzzell, who in 75 published an article in Harvard Business Review that said market share, a key to profitability. And it tried to pro provide empirical evidence that companies that had dominant market share had higher profitability levels. And yet, if that was true, Ed, then companies like, you know, uh, General Motors, United Airlines, Sears, Phillips, they would have been kicking butt because they had enormous market share at the time that this article was, was published. 
And I think almost all those companies are gone or shells of their former selves. Or in, in the case of General Motors, as I think Minotaur even points out in the book, it's you know it's it's really a a, a car or a, a insurance company that happens to manufacture cars. Cars. Uh, Philips is still around. Philips is still around. So that, uh, but I but I think they're a lot smaller than they used to be. Um, and and then you know BMW, Porsche, with minuscule market share, some of the most profitable car companies in the world, Tesla would be another example if you were looking at market cap at least so yeah but that's kind of where when that article came out and everybody cites that article and i think there were a few from the 60s as well that tried to make the same case but it's just conventional wisdom and there's there's no there's no wisdom in it well probably the 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 biggest famous story that happened for, for me is i was at a great plains conference back in the in the mid 1990s and Steve Ballmer had just become CEO of Microsoft. So this is Gates was transitioning out or was the chief technology officer or whatever. And now Ballmer was now the new CEO. And it was right around, I think, Windows 95. So it must have been like 1995 that this came out or perhaps it was 94. You know, those dates are always kind of weird when they hit the, the software releases. But he, he literally came out on stage screaming at the top of his lungs, pacing across the st- market share, market share. Like he was a ma- well, he's a madman. But that, I mean, for I think a good two minutes, that's all he did. Like was scream market share at us, at this group of people, and we're like, "What is wrong with this guy?" <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess he was playing to Wall Street. You know, who knows? Yeah. Well, but the, the the interesting thing was, of course, is that he was playing to an audience. Of, of Great Plains partners, because they hadn't been acquired by Microsoft yet, who were selling to small and medium businesses. They're selling accounting solutions. And they're just, he, he's going off on market share and you gotta be big. And I think that there were a lot of people in that room because the transition that happened over the course of the next five years, especially with in regard to a Y2K, was larger and larger merges of organizations there were all of these organizations, e-partners, I remember was one of them, that are all no longer around in many cases, that grew and grew and gobbled up all of these small partners in the name of saying, we had a we have big market share. And that's when I re- re- started reading uh, David Maester, too. And I realized that what, what he, they were creating was what Maester calls dots on a map. It was dots on a map. Right, right. And, you know, and you got like, okay, so you have dots on a map. He goes, but how many of your customers or of the customers that these folks had serviced ever needed simultaneous deployment across multiple cities like that? And the answer is just about zero. <laughs> right, right. There was, I, I, there was no yeah. benefit to the merger, none to customers anyway. I remember we talked about that when we did the show on David Maester's work. Mm-hmm. We talked about, wasn't that part of, uh, he gave a bunch of reasons for mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. And that yeah. was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> Dots on a map. That's great. Well, Ed, I'm going to draw on another person that we really like. Listen to what he wrote. There's no such thing as perpetual growth. Yet that's what traditional business people crave. But what is growth meant to achieve? If Oxford University is so successful, then why isn't there a branch in Washington, D.C.? If a symphony is successful with 120 musicians, why not even more so with 600? To grow bigger is not much of an effective business strategy at all. Ricardo Semler, Mm. CEO of Semco Partners. I mean, that's beautiful. 
I love that it. really, really sums it up right there. Yeah. It yeah. really does. You, you don't, and, and it's not that we're anti bigger, but you don't have to be because when you, when you, when you plan to stay small, like Dan Morris used to say he, he owned his building and it was a, a house that was converted to, you know, an office. And he said, look, I, I deliberately put my firm in here because it can only hold so many people. <laughs> And it was like 20 or something. I had to go down into the basement and put some people, but, you know, cause he was growing, but, um, he said that, and that, that automatically caps my growth. And I just thought that was a really, yeah, it just, just went against the conventional wisdom at the time that everything has to be bigger and scalable and all But I said, no, we're deliberately just going to cap our, our size. We're not going to grow for the sake of growth. Well, talk a little bit about too, uh, uh, another firm, uh, uh, O'Byrne and Kennedy, right? that uh, they, they almost inverse growth, right? In terms of the number of customers that they served. Yeah, they actually ended up firing over 500, I think it was 550 customers over two years. And these <laughs> were the customers that they brought on, you know, as, as they were starting up. And so these were friends and family and, you know. Uh, people been, <laughs> yeah, yeah. P- people that have been with them forever. And uh, Paul O'Byrne used to say, you know, we got a, uh, core competency in firing customers. It's kind of our competitive advantage. And, uh, you know, they did it with grace. They did it professional. They gave a great landing, um, to the customers. And then they started to sell uh, various tranches of customers. And, um, anyway, you know, they, they capped themselves. They, I don't think O'Byrne and Kennedy in its entire existence has ever had more than 75 customers. Since, since they went there, under, underwent their transition, right? Since they underwent their transition, yes, yes, yeah. that's right. When they when they decided to move to advisory, you know, Paul Kennedy's great line: "We start where other firms leave off," mm-hmm. and I just love that because he has no problem with other firms doing all the compliance work, the tax, the CAS, you name it. He'll just do the advisory work. Now, if they want him to do the tax and the CAS, he'll do it. But you have to be an advisory customer. Yeah. And, th- and that's truly when it's one of my messages that I've been bringing home to a lot of accountants that I've talked to. What does your A stand for? And in uh, almost every time that I talk about this, they're like, yeah, well, it, it's it's accounting sometimes and it's advisory another time. And, you know, Kent's back to the great line, you know, you Morton's and, and McDonald's again. It's, it's you can't be both. And it's so funny that people are like, well, but no, we need to do We need to do the accounting in order to do the advisory. Yes, but you don't have to take on the ones that only want accounting. Right. Right. And, and, and no, you don't need to do the accounting. You just need to be sure it gets done. Right. Right. Which means somebody else could, you know, some other firm could be your back office. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So folks, I guess Ed and I wanted to do this because we don't want you to feel alone. If you don't think bigger is automatically better. You know, we've been talking forever, Ed, that growth without profit is perilous. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can't sell your way out of unprofitable business, right? What's that great Yogi Berra line? Nobody goes there anymore. It's too busy. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's not about volume. Um, You can look at uh, horror stories about growth. Uh, Krispy Kremes, remember when they just started growing like a weed? There were Mm -hmm. stores popping up all over. Starbucks grew like a weed after Howard Schultz stepped out. They had to bring them back. And he ended up closing nearly a thousand stores. Because it just had lost its way. They started selling CDs and all these different weird drinks and all sorts of food. I mean, they just kind of lost their way. And 
you know, we like to say that revenue is vanity, but profits, profit is sanity. And of yep. course, the, cash is king. The, the biggest thing that, that I think happened at Starbucks when they expanded so quickly was the efficiency experts who came in. And this is where it's tied to the effing debate, right? Who decided that you were be- that they were better off calling out the name of the drink rather than the person's name. Yeah. On on and so you be, you so you went from being Ed to being a a, a, a latte, right? Right, right. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, grande latte, and and that that was I think devastating because that's set then set the mindset for all of the employees that well we're just pushing drinks here, we're not serving customers. Yep. Yep, they they gave up on the relationship and the the personality and and all of that. So you know, I I think if if you want to be a company of one or just a company with a few team members, um, I think that it, it just means that you're questioning the 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 growth mindset. You just want to work smarter, and as long as you stay small, it's easier to pivot. It's easier to build profit. It's easier. You have less bureaucracy. I mean, all, there's all sorts of advantages in remaining small, and I don't think they're talked enough about. No, I agree. I agree. So let's pick that up on the other side of the break. I want to remind you that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. We have a Patreon channel. Love for you to check that out at patreon.com slash TSOE. At a certain level, you can get a shout out like Geraldine Carter did at Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Check her out at geraldinecarter.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Ron, we talk a lot about business opportunities. Well, now a great one has become our sponsor, bookskeepingfranchise.com, bookskeeping with an X. That's right, Ed. If you are interested in becoming part of the $4.2 billion bookkeeping industry for a franchise fee of just under $20,000, visit www.bookskeepingfranchise.com. Bookskeeping comes with full training, plus marketing and technical support, and even staffing. Visit the website or call 855 935 2669. Franchise opportunity not available in all states. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're talking about growth grief, guarding against the glitz and glamour of scale. And Ed, another thing, you know, there's this, uh, I don't know if you ever caught this, but there was a new demographic. I don't know who does these, right? It's sitcom. And it was single income, two children, oppressive mortgage. (laughs) It's just great, which is opposed to dinks, which was dual income and no kids. No kids. I remember that one. I remember the dinks. And, you know, one thing that I learned working, especially in the bookkeeping community, is there's a ton of mompreneurs out there, you know, women that um, are, are helping the family finances by starting a bookkeeping firm, but maybe they do it out of their house. If they do have team members, they, they allow them to bring their children to the office. And, you know, I just think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can provide a service that other people value, and still fit it into your life. In other words, you know, it adjusts to to what your goals in your life around. It, it, it's kind of like the mindset is to build your business around your life, not the other way around. Well, yeah. it's it's funny you mention that because there there is a phrase that is used in in among channel partner organizations. So Sage being one of them, a little tale told out of school here, but it is it's not limited to Sage. And the phrase is lifestyle partner. Mm. lifestyle partner, that they are a lifestyle partner. Wayne Schultz, who is a member of 90 Minds, was on the board for a long, long time. He had a great line about this. He said, lifestyle partner is the closest thing that our business has to a racial slur. Mm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Wayne's always good. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yeah, and, and, you know, this, again, this isn't anti-growth. It, it just questions growth first and, and, and tries to look, there's a better, smarter way forward instead of just growing for the sake of growth. And usually there is a smarter path, which is usually increase your prices. And you know what? That's a heck of a lot easier to do in a smaller firm than it mm-hmm. is in a larger firm. Because you, know, you, you can adjust that demand with your price. You have more flexibility to do that on the run. <laughs> Well, how many times have you done the exercise where where you say double your prices and, and then ask, well, and would you lose 50% of your customers? And mo- and almost all the time they're like, no, <laughs> at least not initially, at least not immediately. And my response is, well, why aren't you doing it? Why, why are you not doing that? And yeah. there's really not been a good answer that I've heard. Well, we would eventually lose them. Really, would you? Because this is where I think you wouldn't. Because what would end up happening is you would end up servicing those customers that probably really like the work that you're doing because they'll you're going to stick around and you're going to start servicing them a lot better and providing them more knowledge and insight that they're going to be like, yeah, this is great. Thank you. It's about time. Yeah. And you'd free up some space to take on other customers just like that. <laughs> Exactly. And in fact, in fact, in fact I uh, may, may have read it on online, but I got permission from from the, the, the company to do this. I was working with a, a partner at Sage and they switched over to, to subscription and significantly increased their prices across the board. Hmm. And what was was so funny, I got an email from him and he said, we, we when we tr- made the transition, only five customers didn't come over. They didn't. Only five didn't come over. And all five of them were at $500 a month. Mm. 
He said, we have since added four new customers at $4,500 per month. Now, so they, so they didn't add a fifth one back yet. But Ron, what, times. It, what is so, right? What's so amazing about that number is that's the number that that uh, John Murillo cites as the effect of going uh, moving to subscription is a nine X in the valuation of the company. It was, I was like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I know. And I wish more people could see that. But when, when I think when people hear stories, even like when we talk about Dr. Paul and we throw out the familiar, you know, the average GPS 2,400 patients and Dr. Paul has 600, right? 25% as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that freaks people out. Yeah. Well, how's he scale? Well, he asks another doctor. <laughs> you know, if he wants, if, if he, he wants, wants. <laughs> if he wants, if he wants to open the second office, which I think he has done now, yeah. um, he'll add some doctors there, but you know, he controls that growth. And the other question I don't think gets asked in the scalability, you know, religion is how does this benefit your customer? How does this benefit our customers if we grow? What what are the costs to our current customers if we merge or add a bunch of people and take on a bunch of more a bunch of new customers? How does that help our current customers? And I would just like to see that question posed more, even in big firms. Because I don't and think that, it is. It isn't. And that goes back to the David Maester line. He says that exact thing in that chapter on merging. He says the only valid reason to merge is if there is a if there's a tangible benefit to your current customers, not some future envisioned set of customers, yep. but your current customers. How does this help the people that you are serving now, today? And because that is, I think, the golden question. And, you know, I have to say, I, I mean, I've, ta- I'll, I've talked to a number of these people who are, you know, merger specialists. I don't know if they ask that question. No, I don't and think it, they do. They're, they're if, very transactional. <laughs> and and if they do, is is it just usually a story that gets invented? You know, he oh here's how this is going to benefit customers. Here's how it's going to benefit customers because we're we're going to be able to serve. We're gonna we're, we're gonna be able to serve the the, the the this set of folks that we don't serve right now. Well, no, that's a future customer. Can't do that. Well, there's going to be cross pollination. Really, you know what that's usually known as? That's bloat, and you're going to end up firing people because that's what happens. Yep. So, but the story gets envisioned as to how it somehow helps current customers. Or my favorite, there's economies of scale. So oh. we're going to save, you know, no, there's no economies of scale in professional businesses. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know. no, no, well, what I'll do one, one, one better on that is like, they'll, they'll say, well, we're, you know what, what we'll do is we'll be able to market. We'll be able to do better marketing. Oh yeah. How's, how is firms A's marketing today? Well, it pretty much sucks. How is firms B marketing today? Well, it pretty much sucks. Oh, but you somehow when you get together, you like, oh, now we're suddenly going to become good at marketing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. When two dinosaurs made, it doesn't usually produce a gazelle. No. Know, I mean, <laughs> it's like, if it's bad, it's bad. You know, um, that's a miniature line, isn't it? I think that's a miniature no, it's line. A Tom Peters line. Is it Tom Peters line? Okay. Yeah. It's a Tom okay. Peters line. Um, <laughs> the other thing Ed, that doesn't get talked about, and because we've done shows with Gary Hamill, uh, you know, on his book, uh, what is it? Bureaucracy, the book, humanocracy, humanocracy. Yep. Thank you. Um, in these smaller firms, this is why we see so much innovation, so many cool things, because it's easier to do things like adopt a row, 
you're more nimble. There's less bureaucracy. Let's face it. Growth adds complexity. It strains relationships and it increases stress. And, you know, smaller makes it easier to deliver remarkable customer experience. At least it should. I mean, I hear all the time, though, is that, well, if I was just bigger, I would be able to do that, you know, customer experience stuff. I'm like, that's nonsense. That is absolute nonsense because it's the it's the relationships that your people have. Now, I I will agree that probably what when they're saying that, Ron, is because they have too many customers already. Mm-hmm. Yep, that could be. Right? So yep. circle that back to then, you know, uh, O'Byrne and Kennedy. <laughs> Right, right. And, you know, the fact that growth adds complexity for every client that you add, you, you've got to track it, it's in your system, all of that. It's, it's kind of like a, a hidden tax. It doesn't mm-hmm. show up on your financials, but but it's there. I mean, uh, investors call this, what, what What do they do? The, uh, the conglomerate tax or mm, the mm. diversity tax? Diversity and tax, yeah. Discount, discount, I think they yeah. call it diversity discount. And that's why companies like Coca-Cola are more valuable than Pepsi because Coke does beverages, mm-hmm. but Pepsi does, you know, KFC and Taco Bell and Frito-Lay and all this stuff. And, and investors discount for that because it's, you're not staying in your lane type of thing. And so I, I think there's a lot of benefits to being small and nimble um, and just questioning this, this constant quest for growth. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, again, I think you make such an important point earlier that to relieve those of you listening of the guilt of, well, I'm not growing. Well, st- all right, we'll stop. It's okay. Really? Um, what, what is your strategy? Get closer to your customers. That's a strategy too. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, questioning growth or, 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 you know, not scaling, it's not the same as staying static and unchanging. Amen. I think, I think this is a bit, another big mental hurdle to this. So people say, well, how do you advance if you're not growing? Well, you can increase your scope of influence. You can, you, you know, there's, you can out teach, out share the competition. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily about getting bigger. It, it's, it's, you can, you can become, you know, a thought leader for lack of a better term. I hate that term always have, but, um, I, I, I just think there's other ways to, um, you know, increase your impact in the world other than mm-hmm. just getting bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm reading a book, um, Unreasonable Service, I believe it's called, uh, and one of the things is he's in about the restaurant industry. Yeah, great uh, book, great book. And, yeah, really good book. And one of one of the things that, that he brings up, and, and this is I think directly to what you're talking about here, it, it is within restaurants. The fine, the 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 top restaurants are not big. <laughs> French Laundry, I think, has eight servings a night. Eight, you know, there's eight tables in there or something. It's they some- are not big. They they can't be because you cannot. Surprise, surprise! You can't have that quality a level of food service to 350 people every night. It's not possible. Yep. Oh, yeah, for sure. And you know, Paul Graham, the co-founder of Y Combinator. Uh, he says this, he says, venture capitalists don't invest millions in companies because that's what those companies need. Rather, they invest the amount that their own VC business requires to see growth in their own portfolios. Sudden and large investments tend to turn companies into armies of employees who sit around having meetings. <laughs> what a great, what a, I mean, bless you, Paul Graham. That is a lot of truth in that. 
Well, big, big challenge there, Ron, especially as the VC money is starting to flow into the accounting profession, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. And that uh, I look at some of these investments that SoftBank has made, you know, that Japanese massive billions of dollars. And I think Mm -hmm. they were involved in WeWork and a whole bunch of things that failed. And they poured money into these companies. And I think you can give a company too much money where it doesn't have to struggle, you know, struggle and makes you learn. I mean, we, you know, we didn't have the resources, so we had to work smarter. You know, somebody at the Manhattan project said that we didn't have a lot of money. So we had to do crap that was smarter. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, you know, so constraints can be, be a, a font of innovation too. And I think a lot of people miss that. That So, and, and that, that's where, well, growth gets to be a problem, but anyway, uh, it, Oh, just on that, Ed, I know <laughs> yeah. uh, we've got a break, but, uh, Mark Gandy did a show with the author of a beautiful constraint mm. and I thought what a great title for a book. And it was a very interesting show. Mm. Highly recommended a beautiful constraint. And that's exactly what he was talking about. Sometimes when you're constrained, it's the best thing for you. And I think that's where the, the book that got the question out, he asked itself when it entered a uh, racing, I don't know if it was formula. And they said, how can we win without driving faster? And that led them to doing faster pit stops. Yeah. Yeah. Which are amazing, by the way. So, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Incredible. We are up against that break, Ron. One of our constraints is having to go through commercial breaks, unless, of course, you are a Patreon member and then you are unconstrained because you do not have to listen to the commercials. But we've got to get to a commercial break. We This uh, second break is sponsored by our friends at 90Mind. They are a sponsor of us on Patreon as well. Find a mind at 90minds.com. But right now, a word from our other sponsors. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Thank you. 
You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about growth, grief, and uh, guarding against the glitz and glamour of scale. You just like saying that, Ron. I do. I, do. I love the alliteration. I do. That's great. Um, thank you, Chat Our intern GPT. came up with that, right? Yeah. 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 Chat GPT is now my intern. Um, the other thing that needs to be said in this whole issue, I think, is the advantages, Ed, today of a small company are so much greater than they were if you tried to do this sometime in the 70s or 60s or even maybe into the 80s because of technology. Um, and just to put a, a point on that, in 2015, the U.S. Census Bureau showed 38,000 companies of one person grossed over a million dollars. Now, I know 38,000 companies is a drop in the bucket compared to how many small businesses there are in, in the United States. But that tells you something. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was 38,000 in the 70s. You know, imagine trying to be a consultant or just a solo, solo person, consult, you know, whatever, freelancer making over a million dollars, you know, and yeah, inflation adjusted and all that. But, um, and also crowdfunding uh, raised $6 billion in 2016. Now, that's more for B2C companies than it is for professionals. You know, you're working on a cool product and people want early access to it. But, there's just ways to do things today that I don't think we had available to us 20 no, certainly years not. ago. <clears throat> certainly not. Not even not even close. And yeah, I think that there's huge advantages just in <laughs> to take a page as the accounting systems, <laughs> right? Yeah. That, 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 you, that you that you can take advantage of all all tied to your credit cards and all that stuff. So really, you know, that's that 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 that's gotta be a, a huge thing. Now, the other advantage that I'll I'll throw out there, Ron, and I still I still think that it's many of the, the federal regulations don't kick into till what, 30 people? Yeah. So I've even had some conversations with small business owners, you know, down here, friends of baseball players and all of that stuff that my son plays with. They're like, yeah, and I'm not getting over 30. And if I do, I open a second company. Yep. Yep. I've heard that too. We've had Chris Edwards on the show from Cato talking about home businesses that do daycare or, or maybe see patients if you're a psychologist or something that don't have the zoning. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they get regulated and it's really tough to start, get on that first rung of the economic ladder. So, yeah, that's why we're just so against occupational licensing and regulation of that yeah. sort. There's they even talk. now a lot of commercial kit- kitchens that are available for rent. So if you wanted to do like a meals on wheels kind of thing, you can you can do that. And I there's, there's actually a company that we buy from down here that does that. Yeah. And the other thing, Ed, that I think is, is easier today, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is, is easier because of tech or other things, but working for yourself or working small or being a one man person, a one person outfit doesn't mean you have to be by yourself. You know, you think about it as a portfolio where you have people that you can bring in and work with. I mean, I, I point to me, you know, I, I've got, gotten to work with you for what twenty something years. Mm-hmm. You know, and yet I'm I'm a one man shop, but uh-huh. I get to work with a lot of different people and a lot of different organizations. So it's yeah. more of a portfolio approach, um, and it, it so you're never really alone. You don't have to be if you structure it. 
and and look to other people as com- not as competitors but as cooperators who can add value along with you. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Ron, before we get into another topic, I just want to make a correction to the record. I, I had did not I had the name of the book wrong in the earlier segment, so I just want to put put the record on. It's the name of the book is Unreasonable Hospitality: The Remarkable Power of Giving People More Than They Expect by uh, Will Gradara. Uh, he's the uh, uh, chef at Eleven Park Madison, or to, uh, actually owner. He's not the chef at Eleven Park Madison. So right, right, and and, and uh, th- that book is great. That's the one that says you know. Uh, service comes in uh, black and white hospitality comes in color yeah and well just a quick side note here this is a sidebar conversation and and i had heard you said that in fact i texted you when i started reading this book i said where did you get that from and you had mentioned this but the the story behind that is actually funny it was it was act that response was a response from somebody who he was interviewing yes when he asked the question, what's the difference between service and hospitality? And the person responded with, you know, services in black and white, hospitality is in color. By the way, that person didn't get the job. Didn't get the job. I I would have hired him just because of that or her. Uh, Yeah, that was amazing. Um, That's a great book, by the way. And for those that are interested, um, Mark Gandy on CFO Bookshelf did a whole show with the author. He had Mm -hmm. the author on. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of great stories in that book that, that are I, I really enjoyed that. It was uh, great. shout out to our friend Hector. The narrator is the guy who wrote the book. So I know Hector only likes to read the ones where it's the, the person who wrote the book reading uh, it. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and then the other thing about s- smaller companies, the other advantage, I guess they have, I guess we're listening advantages, mm-hmm. um, but it, I think smaller companies understand that, um, current customers are more valuable than just going out and acquiring more. You mm-hmm. know, the AICPA loves to talk about it costs 11 times more to acquire a customer than it does to retain one. And it seems to me Ed, that big businesses sacrifice retention for acquisition, you know, the whole churn and burn. Mm-hmm. How many times have you seen your cellular phone company offer great deals? If you're a new customer, <laughs> you know, yeah. that just pisses me off. I'll, I'll, I'll give AT&T some, plus points because they said we're going to offer this great deal to both new customers and our current customers. Yeah. They've kind of pivoted off. And I think the, some of the other, the other providers have finally gotten lose. To took that them too. long enough. Took yeah. Them because there's so much it, churn people bouncing back and forth. So c- cable companies haven't picked up on that. I don't <laughs> think as much, they never but, will. And yeah, they never yeah. will. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, the other thing is, um, you know, I always used to love Chris Fredrickson's line when you're asked, you know, how's business. And he said, respond with this business is great. And we're looking for more. And mm-hmm. Texas tech did a survey of customers. 83% of them are willing to refer, but only 29% do. And I think it's because they're not asked. And if you're a small business, you have a lot more incentive. It's a lot easier to ask your existing customers for referrals. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that is a, a big miss of a lot of people. And I, and I, and I think you're absolutely, and that, that study from Texas tech is, is, is just amazing, but you know, what's it was so interesting is how many people I've talked to about that Chris uh, Fredrickson line who have said, yeah, well, I, what I usually say is like, I'm so busy. I mean, that, that that's like the, <laughs> that's the default response. It's almost to some people like that's the only socially acceptable response. How are you busy? 
Yeah, you know? yeah, I know, and it's it's it sends the wrong message. Well, I'm certainly not going to send them anymore. Well, especially, I, and it's I'm, probably from a customer <laughs> that you want to do work with because they're because the, they're they're the ones who are being sympathetic to your cause. Like, hey, how's things going? Well, we're so busy. Oh, yeah, I understand. Uh, meanwhile, they probably had you in mind for a project that they wanted to involve you in, and now they're not going to because you know you're so busy. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, that's so true. So yeah, ask your customers for referrals. And, you know, if you're doing a great job for them, there's no reason why they wouldn't want to refer you. Dan Morris taught me that the reason somebody refers somebody to you is to make them look good. You know, yeah. I sent you to a great CPA, a great lawyer. It's it's going to redound to my benefit to say, hey, thanks for referring me to so-and-so. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Um. What other things you want to say about this, Ed? Because there's, there's such a rich topic. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, and it, it, it was interesting. And in, in, like I said, I pl- plowed through Richard Minitor's "The Myth of Market Share" just to kind of pick up on it, and I, I was struck by the, this quote from Jack Welsh in the book. Uh, that and this is I had, hadn't realized that this is from him. He says, "Too often we measure everything and understand nothing." The three most important things you need to measure in a business are customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction, and cash flow. <laughs> yes boy that last one is uh not well understood i don't think no We're too busy doing cost accounting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but and of course that's that that's jack welsh and people i think would attribute jack Welsh to be one of these guys who's market share market share market share but no he he actually cut back on things right and the questions that he would ask if we're not number one or number two maybe we should get out yeah already he jettisoned yeah he jettisoned a lot of their subsidiaries because they weren't number one or two. And, you know, that's, that was inspired by Peter Drucker, the Mm -hmm. whole, you know, what's your discharge system? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what's your planned abandonment is Drucker would call it. Right. Right. So, I mean, you know, this, the, the, really the, 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 the past is littered with these organizations that, that grew too big, too fast. And, you know, some who had to recalibrate and who have been able to do it, you know, Lego is a great story. And because they, they're actually mentioned in the, in the book as being a problem with their growth, but they've really retooled. Mm. So, yeah, they were on the ropes there for a while, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they did a really good job. And I think that's because they got closer to their customers and started yep. to, plus their offering. And, um, you know, this is a little bit far afield, but not much because we hear this advice, you know, follow your passion. And of course, Rabbi Lappin is just, he hates this, but uh-huh. so does Bar- Barbara, is it Corcoran? She's the real estate investor on shark tank. Okay. Um, I don't watch shark Cor- tank. Corcoran. Yep. Yep. Corcoran. She didn't follow her passion. Instead, she discovered it by accident as she worked her butt off. Her passion came after her hard work as a result of it, not the other way around. I mean, I guess the philosophy seems to be, you know, try different things. If you don't know what your passion is, if you're not called to something, you know, like some people are, most people I don't think are, um, try a bunch of different things and then uh, you know, something will click with you and just follow it and you'll learn to love it. It'll become your passion by working in it. And that's basically Lappin's message about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do think that, that trying a lot of things, hell, I'm a, you know, liberal studies major coming out of college. So, and, 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 you know, you're, you're kind of the exact opposite is you had the passion for accounting, even when you were a teenager, but then that even shifted mid career for you in a sense. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. I, and, and, you know, the other thing that uh, what I really like about this philosophy is it keeps you in that altruistic mode because the altruism is outer directed. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one, you know, passion is what you want to do, but you got to figure out something that other people value and yes. how you can make an impact. And that's why I, I, I think follow your passion is, is kind of shallow advice. It is shallow. And for exactly that reason, your passion is great, but it does have to be valuable to others in order for it to be economically viable for you. Cause otherwise it's just a hobby and that's fine, but <laughs> consider that that's probably going to cost you money, not create money for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Ed, this is great. It's flying by as always. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Do check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com. We'll have show notes on this episode and some of the shows and books that we talked about. And now we want to hear from our sponsors and Ed's employer, Sage. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back on The Soul of Enterprise today. We are talking about the G words, Ron. Growth grief guarding against the glitz and glamour of scale. I got a chance to say it once, so I'm very happy about that coming back. <laughs> and, you know, Ron, one of the other things that Minotaur points out in the, the myth of market share, why market share is fool's gold of business, is that he, he says this, market share is about the past in every sense. It is calculated by examining and tabulating sales that have already occurred. And because it is about the past, it is static and lifeless. Look at what's not captured by those numbers, the future potential of some current customers. Yeah. Yeah. That's excellent. And, and I think not that's to mention, really profound. <laughs> it is not to mention it's silent about innovation, you know, the whole, whole idea mm-hmm. of plussing. Um, yeah, I, you know, and I think there's a lot of guilt around this issue for, for smaller firms that we, that we encounter 
that feel like, oh, you know, if I'm a startup, I have to be a million dollars within two years or three years because people I see on social media or whatever have done that. And it's like, no, if that's not your goal. If that's not your strategy. Don't feel obliged to follow it. Mm -hmm. There's other ways to be impactful and successful at the same time, rather than just grow for the sake of growth. Mm -hmm. In other words, when you, when you're profitable first, that gives you the option to grow, but Mm -hmm. the the growth follows the profits, not the other way around. And I think that, that, I mean, I, I know that's the point of the market share myth, but you know, profit without or growth without profit is perilous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Ron, th- this, that quote reminded me of, of an exercise that that we've done. In fact, I think it's in your book, Measure What Matters, this concept of a value gap. Mm. And, you know, the, the there's there's kind of the two two variations on that. The first one is to look at your your you know current customer list and the revenue that you've collected and try to anticipate what is the value that you have provided them. But then the more advanced version says, okay, let's see if we can do this five years from now. In five years from now, what, how are you going to create value or how much value are you going to create for customers five years hence? And then what revenue can you extract from that value, knowing that there'll always be the constant value gap? And what I love about that exercise, Ron, is, and I've done this with a number of organizations, is you, you, you take a list of your current customers and then pick a smattering. It can be some of your larger customers, some of your midsize, and even some of your smaller customers. And say, how are we going to create value, not for some future customer, but for these customers that we have right now, five years from now? What are we going to be doing to create value for them? Not revenue, but value. And what I found is, is when people focus on the outward attention to create the creation of value, which as you and I like to say, it is the creation of value that is really the cause of revenue, not marketing. Marketing isn't the cause of revenue. It's the creation of value is that you're focused outwardly on what is that creation of value. And that allows you to, to triangulate and calibrate along what is it that you want to innovate and create in the future. So I love that that value gap exercise of taking current customers and saying five years from now, how are we going to be creating value for them? And what how much value is that going to be? Yeah, because we talk about customer lifetime value, which is the value mm-hmm. of the customer to the business. But what is the firm's value to the customer over right. their lifetime? Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of makes me think too, Ed, about any time... You start getting into a discussion of scale, especially these days with cloud, AI, you know, all of this technology coming down the pike. Um, are we are we losing human interaction? In other words, I think when when this starts to happen, the quantity of work becomes more important than the quality of the relationship. And that's what worries me as companies begin to scale with some of this technology. We've already kind of seen it with the cloud maybe even virtual firms. And I'm not against either. I'm just saying that, you know, if you never meet your customer, unless you're Amazon, I'm not sure that's how I want to run a professional firm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to be as, as uh, uh, one of my mentors and, and Christine's now once and future boss that she's, she's had for a long time says, I, you know, we got to get, sometimes you got to get belly to belly. Yep. Especially in the professional world. Yeah. Yeah, I hear about these stories. Oh, I've never met my customer, you know, a lot of my customers. And it's like, really? I, I just, I don't know. I, 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 I know it can happen. I know there's outfits, you know, legal zoom and all that that's really scalable. They can do, you know, 400 wills in a minute, but, um, there's still something important about that human interaction, at least in the professional world that we operate in. 
Yeah, there was a commercial. I forget for what airline, and it was really good commercial. But the, and the, the 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 idea was it was just a business owner who's standing around, and he's t- they're talking about f- falling falling profitability or fall, falling sales, and he 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 shows up at this meeting and he's got uh, boarding passes. This was back, you know, when you would actually hand out paper tickets, and all of the the people at the meeting are saying, "What's this?" And he says, "We're going out to talk to our customers," yeah. you know. <laughs> It was really awesome. powerful commercial. Now, of course, you know, Delta, whoever it was. Yeah, they yeah, fly everywhere. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> but but it was a powerful message. That's a, and, you know, um, somebody said, and I forget who said this, but I, I thought this was really wise advice from a very savvy entrepreneur who hires professional firms. So lawyers, accountants, all of that. He said, it's not a smart idea to be any firm's biggest or smallest customer. <laughs> that when you think about it, that in those terms, you know, you talk, I talk to these firms that say, well, we have, you know, a handful of customers that are, you know, 40 X are normal. And, mm-hmm. and of course they've got some small ones too. It's like, yeah, that's a problem. And that's a strategy mm-hmm. problem, not a pricing problem. Pricing right. can't fix that. Right. You have to position and strategy smarter. Mm-hmm. So that's another way to think about it from the customer side too. Yep. Yep. Well, Ron, you had a story about a Japan out of Japan. Why don't we close on that? Yeah, there's this word Ed, in Japanese, and I think it's pronounced Shinaset. I've heard a couple different pronunciations. So let me spell it. It's S-H-I-N-I-S-E, and I've heard it pronounced Shinaset. Uh, it's the word for a long-lasting company. So it's just like German words are so great. I mean, there's a Japanese word for this, but... About 90% of all businesses worldwide that are more than 100 years old are Japanese. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, this book um, that I drew some of the work on today is called Company of One, Why Staying Small is the Next Big, uh, big Thing for Business by Paul Jarvis from 2018. He mentioned this, and he, he talked about a Japanese hotel that's been around, I, I want to say since 1600 or something. I mean, it's been around forever. Um, and all of these companies, by the way, have fewer than 300 employees. Wow. And if you, if you look at the S and P 500, the average lifespan of a company there is about 15 years. So I guess to sum up, Ed, there's something to be said for too small to fail. <laughs> Like that. Yes. Well, it, certainly it's where everybody starts anyway. And there's, again, nothing wrong with saying, hey, I just I, I want to do this because it, this is what makes me happy. I feel that I'm creating value for those customers that I'm actually servicing. So if, continue to do that. There, it's OK. It, it, stop okay. listening to all of the, the the consultants who are just sitting there and, and Steve Ballmer screaming at you from across the stage for five minutes. Market share! I'm sure everybody, and I know you do, Ed, you have, we have our favorite restaurants. You know, there may be a little hole in the wall that serve the best food and you just, you you always want them to be there. I have a Thai food place like that and he doesn't get bigger, but it just seems to me like he gets better every year. There you go. That's great. 
All right, Ron. Well, next week, we're not quite sure what we're doing, because as I said, this is a week into the future. So we've got a couple different different possibilities. So we'll just have to leave it there. And but we do have some guests coming up. Uh, we're ha- happy to, to report that we're going to be talking t- about private equity in uh, accounting with uh, Michael Bright. And then we do have a subscription based legal services interview with Scott Reeb coming up. So we've got some folks. And then we've announced that Joe Woodard will be joining us uh, for his talk on what, what he's going to be talking about, a scaling new heights. And that's in first first week in April. So excellent. All right. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the soul of enterprise business and the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage, transforming the way people think and work, enabling their organizations to thrive. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at soulofenterprise.com. Also, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to ask ksoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.